Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Sports Virus Podcast. I'm Joe Castellano here on the Believe Podcast Network. And we've had some great guests so far. Greg Gumbel was our first guest on this new podcast. And then Ron Wotus, who was the longtime coach with the San Francisco Giants. And now we're going to talk about all of the Bay Area teams that are covered by Greg Papa, the voice of the San Francisco 49ers on radio. He also hosts a popular talk show on KNBR 680 here in the San Francisco Bay Area with John Lund, Papa and Lund, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and he also is on NBC Sports Bay Area quite a bit as he hosts the pregame and postgame shows on the San Francisco Giants telecast. So this is a very busy man. I was very fortunate to be able to uh, get some time and ask Papa, Greg Papa. Uh, he was on his way to, to tape a segment on NBC Sports Bay Area called Ask Papa. So here's me asking Papa on Tuesday afternoon. Well, Greg, thanks so much for joining me here on the Sports Virus Podcast. And a uh, great time to talk to you because the 49ers are coming off such a big win over the Rams. I mean, everything was going right in that game for them, wasn't it? Absolutely everything, Joe. Just a beautiful game plan. But it was a, I don't want to say a simple game plan, but it was a relatively obvious game plan against the Rams to just take their heart and soul away. And, and uh, remember Mike Singletary's line years ago about we got to be physical with a capital F. And I think this was a, a physical with a capital F game with a, a U right after it, an F U, uh, to everybody, everybody that's been questioning them and questioning Kyle and, and, and the Rams. You know, the Rams are the, I mean, they're all professional football players, so they're incredibly tough and physical. But they got a lot of, you know, splashy star kind of players. And uh, obviously their pass rush bringing in Vaughn Miller on top of Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd is one of the best in the history of, of pro football. So you don't want those guys pinning their ears back and coming at you on second and third downs. You want to you want to drop the hammer on them and steamroll them in the early downs. And they ran the ball, not just a 44 total runs to 19 passes, but I think it was 25 out of 27 late in the game. On first out, so what you do on first and ten is who you are, and the 49ers just trucked those guys. So that was a get-right game, uh, but you're not going to be able to do all that on offense and run the ball as much if you're not getting stops on defense. It was by far their best game of the year, uh, and to do it against the Rams and all their uh, star power and everybody talking about them getting Vaughn and OBJ on top of Stafford in the offseason. Um, the franchise really needed that to, to stay in the race, to stay relevant. You know, John Madden used to always say, you're just jockeying for position. It's what you do after Thanksgiving. Well, you gotta be, you gotta be in the race come Thanksgiving. And they got a tough road game. Jacksonville, I know they got a low, you know, not a great one loss record, Joe, but still a tough game after a Monday night at home to go on the road to the East Coast is historically difficult. But that was a much needed win for this franchise in every regard. Well, Mike Singletary was also known in his rant uh, when he was talking about, I want winners. And in my opinion, Greg, Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner. I, I know that everybody's been anxious to see Trey Lance you know, around the country. Even if you're not a 49ers fan, people want to see what he's made of. But Jimmy G is not done yet. He's been playing really well lately. What's your take on him? And what do you think the future is with Jimmy G, You know, who's been on such a short leash? 
I agree with it. Jimmy's a winner. What I say is Jimmy is a game. He's a gamer. To use a baseball expression, the guy's just a gamer. Yeah. And he's gritty, and he gets down. I think where his season flipped, Joe, was going back to Chicago, going back home. He had a really bad game the week before against Indianapolis in the rain. Now, that was a weird game because of the, you know, the amount of rainfall that night was just epic. They were talking bomb cyclones and all that and not you know, <laughs> deep bombs on the field. So I think it, it, he missed some throws he normally would have made. Um, and then I, after that, he goes back to Chicago, and he just is like a Chicago land, dirty, grimy kind of game, a Bears kind of game. And he was able to just make enough plays. He ran in for a couple of scores himself, spiked the one in the end zone, chucked the other one off the Bears logo in the other end zone when he was throwing to one of his buddies from college that was in that end zone and just found a way to win. Uh, then the Arizona game and the 49ers got handled in that game. But Jimmy played well in that game. And then this game uh, on Monday Night Football against the Rams, he plays well against the Rams. He's 5-0 and against them whether it's Goff or whether it's Stafford on the other side, he just makes big-time plays to beat them, and he was so precise in this game. And the one thing I think Kyle Shanahan has done, and it may have been, I'm going to have to ask him this week, is it more Jimmy's comfortable in the shotgun? You know, going back to his college days at Eastern Illinois, he was exclusively in the gun, very little under center. Uh, Was it getting back to that? Or when Jimmy was hurt, he missed the second half of the Seattle game and then the entire Arizona game. They, When Trey's in the game, it's a different offense. It's not so much under center. It's all shotgun and pistol. Um, was it that? Whatever it is, Jimmy's just been on point throwing the ball out of the, where he's facing the defense. He's not under center executing the play action, the boot game, the keep game off the outside zone with his back to the defense. He's more right there. So it allows him to not be fooled when he turns his head around by what he's actually getting post-snap. You know, he's got an image of what he's looking at pre-snap. So he's just been on point. He's playing great football. He's a great leader. And as far as the future, obviously Trey Lance is the future. But I would not discount that Jimmy could be a part of the future as well. Uh, Trey has only had one year of college football, one year and one game. So he's the classic NBA player, one and done, Joe. He only had 318 pass attempts in college. Mm -hmm. That is way light. I mean, Mac Jones played one and done as well, but he was up over 600, I think 650 at Alabama. Plus he played at that level of football, not to denigrate North Dakota State at all. It's a great program, but you're not playing, you know, against the the SEC and that kind of challenge every week. Um so it's not out of the realm of possibility that Trey is not completely ready for this next year to be the starting quarterback. So, yeah, I think you're going to have to bring in a veteran no matter what to, to help him and play in case Trey needs someone to step in. Who would be better at that than Jimmy? I mean, uh, you're not going to pay him $24 million a year like you are now. It'd have to be more high-end backup money. And Jimmy may be able to go out and get a starting job somewhere, and if he does, then that's too bad for the 49ers. But if he can't, I, I would not discount the, the possibility that Jimmy comes back next year in a, in a combination role with Trey again.
What about this hypothetical, Greg? If Jimmy is good the rest of the season, the way he's been the last few games, and the 49ers make the playoffs, maybe they don't make the Super Bowl, but they make the playoffs, do you still think they make that change? I mean, if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, you've got to have you know a little bit of an ego, too, that you haven't shown publicly, and you, you're probably pretty upset about the way everything's gone, and you're carrying a chip on your shoulder a little bit, I would think, and maybe that's the motivation he has, but I don't know that he'd want to come back if they're going to say, hey, you're not the starter after everything that you know he's done or could do the rest of the season. Yeah, but this is professional sports, Joe, and you have to compete for your job. Right. If you're not if you're not good enough, you, you, you lose the job. I don't care who you are or what what salary. If they think that other guy on the roster can upgrade that position, that's the way it is. Yeah. Now, if Jim, if, if you lay if the scenario you lay out occurs, then Jimmy may be a starter in the league. He may go get starter money. Um, the way you have Trey under contract in a rookie deal, it's palatable to carry Jimmy's money. But at some point here, that, that number three overall pick of the draft salary slot begins to jump. And then it's hard to, to have Jimmy's money. So um, I, what I'm looking at is where maybe Jimmy's closed out from being a starter around the league. Look around the league. Who still needs a starting quarterback that hasn't already used in draft capital a high draft pick to go get one? There, there aren't many scenarios like that. Now, Jimmy could be in the scenario that I'm laying out. Many teams would want him to come in and be that veteran player, well, you know, as a, a nurturer of a young player or uh, just a, a veteran quarterback that if your starting quarterback goes down, this guy can play. And Jimmy clearly falls into that category. So if he cannot get a starter's job, I would hope he'd come back here and, and be that guy that I'm talking about. Or it's possible the scenario you lay out, occurs where he is the starter or they pay him. It's all how much they're going to pay him. When they go to camp, you have to compete for the job. Best man wins. But to get him to go to camp, you got to give him a certain salary uh, to do that. So that's where it gets into. Is Jimmy a $24 million a year quarterback? That's probably hard to do to bring back all the other players. Is he a $14 million a year quarterback? That's probably hard to do. But uh, there have been good backup quarterbacks that make – eight to ten million dollars a year. Andy Dalton was, was making that kind of money in Dallas and he had a play last year. Marcus Mariotto and the, with the Raiders, they paid him a lot of money to back up Derek. So that's a that's a good income for him. So that's a possibility. But let's just see where we're at. After the year they're four and five and there's a big chunk of the season left to play to determine all these things. Oh, yeah. We'll see how that all uh, plays out. What are your greatest concerns? I mean, I, I know early in the season, running back was a concern once Mostert went out, but then Mitchell has looked great. Now he's got this uh, finger, a fractured finger, but you know maybe he'll play with a pin in it. W- what about the rest of the team? I mean, you, you saw how they played defensively in the last game, and that was just terrible. I mean, they just couldn't make any tackles against an Arizona team that was depleted. So from week to week, sometimes in the NFL – it's hard to say what are your weaknesses because one minute you're not looking so great in one area and the next minute you're playing well in that area. So uh, what do you overall look at with the 49ers as those parts that really need to improve? Well, it's, it's you kind of who you are now because you're already past the deadline. I mean, you could pick up street free agents like, you know, Denver did with Odell Beckham Jr. But really, you're not going to make major upgrades to your roster. So no. what comes now is just coaching. And individual growth, you know, I mean, you know baseball so well, 
in baseball, it's about draft and development. It's not just drafting. You have to develop these guys, and that's where the coaching comes in day to day. So guys have to get better. What they, what they have to achieve at some point, this team is capable. It is a capable team. They are capable of beating any team in the NFL at any time. But they're also capable of losing to anybody. They've been wildly inconsistent from not just week to week, but in games. Uh, they get way behind. They're down 17 to nothing to Green Bay. What the hell? They come roaring back and take a lead with 37 seconds to go in the game. And they almost won that game. Uh, the Arizona game, uh, they're down 31 to 7. When Eno Benjamin made that touchdown run mid third quarter and trucked Drake Kirkpatrick, the score was 31 to 7 Arizona. Now, flash forward one week later, Joe, and literally it's 180 degrees. When Debo Samuel took that fourth and six, fourth and six in cut from Jimmy and ran 40 yards for a touchdown, the 49ers led 31 to 7. The exact same score against the two best teams in the NFC West and two of the best in the NFC, two of the best in the league, and you completely flip the whole thing. So they just need to be consistent. They need to do it, not every play, because no one does, but enough stringing of good plays together, back to back to back to back, overcoming mistakes, you know, getting turnovers, just playing the way they're capable of playing. What we saw from that Monday night, you're not going to do it that perfectly every week, but you got to get as close as you can. So they don't have to do anything. This team is capable of, of winning it all. But to do that, you've got to lock in. Look at Tampa Bay last year, Joe. They were 7-5. and five. They had some bad games. New Orleans beat the crap out of them twice. They didn't know what down it was in Chicago. They, they lost track of fourth down. Right. And then they got hot, and they ran the table. So this team is capable of... They've just got to lock in and do it consistently, not just once in a while. They need to do it almost every time. All right, that's a great point. Uh, let's shift gears to baseball. You, of course, cover the Giants doing the pregame and postgame on NBC Sports Bay Area. And Gabe Kapler won the National League Manager of the Year Award today. Nobody saw that coming before the season. Nobody thought the Giants would win 107 games. So I want to get your take on that, just the overall season. And Buster Posey retiring since I haven't talked to you about that since it happened. Well, Gabe, uh, I, I, I mean, obviously you could say that no, no, nobody saw this coming, but they I thought Gabe should have gotten more votes for National League Manager of the Year last year, Joe. And he, they wound up, you know, literally one hit, one play away from making the playoffs. Right. They were 29-31. and 31. Milwaukee had the same record as them. And even though there was no common opponents at all, Milwaukee won some tiebreaker. I don't know how you determine that when you're not playing the same schedule, but that's a long time ago, so... Uh, now this year, uh, to, to battle that Dodger lineup and the additions they made and their starting rotation and where they were start of the year and then middle of the year when they got Scherzer and Trey Turner, I mean, that's the greatest collection of talent uh, baseball's, I don't want to say, ever seen. But the National League, you don't have a lineup like that. And they won 106 games, 106. And the Giants beat them out. Just insane. Yeah. So that took... That took an amazing job by everybody in the organization. Uh, players right down the line had career years, so many of them. But Gabe Kapler proved he could run a team at the highest level. 
and, and never let up. I mean, you're almost in a situation where you had to win every day because the Dodgers are winning every day. Yeah, that's just hard to do in baseball. But uh, he adapted. I saw him evolve and how he handled his pitching staff. He used his gut a little bit more. But the guy's smart. The guy is on. Uh, he impressed me right from the start. Just he, right, he reminds me a lot of Tony La Russa. Uh, and Tony wasn't always likable. People didn't like Tony when he came in. It's like, who's this lawyer? You know, what's he do? But Sparky Anderson embraced him. And I think that opened it up for Tony to be accepted by his peers. I hope this honor that he got, National League Manager of the Year, will allow him to achieve success, you know, not just success, which he's done, and and financial success. They picked up his contract, added two more years, so he got an extension. But what we're all striving for is respect, to respect him. You know, not make the, the, the hackney joke about uh, how much he can deadlift. And, uh, you know, all that, you know, he never eats any food and he spits it out. <laughs> I mean, the guy has tremendous personal discipline to do all of that. And then the way he runs his team is as much anybody disciplined. Just an incredible job by, by Gabe and the entire staff. They were so well managed. There were only two or three times all year where I thought, well, that may not be the matchup you want there. Otherwise, they were right there. Very Tony LaRusso-like all these decades later. Buster, I was not shocked he'd be retired because uh, Hunter Pence worked a lot of giant shows with me this year on pre and post. And uh, I remember getting in a conversation with him early in the year, maybe middle of the year, June, somewhere there, where Brandon Belt did a home run. And Buster and Brandon almost had the exact same amount of home runs, like around 150. And I remember talking to him off, off the air, who do you think is going to have more home runs when it's all said and done in a giant uniform? And he said, Belt. And I said, Belt, he's, he's not even under contract next year. they got an option on Buster. And he said, I don't, I don't think Buster's going to play a long time. And wow. he kind of laid out family situation to me. And so ever since then, I listened to every single word Buster said. And uh, whatever they would ask him, especially when Brandon Crawford signed his two-year extension, they asked Buster about it. And it always was, I'm going to give it to my wife at the end of the year and figure it out. And, well, everybody says that, but you see your wife every single day. What's going on there? So there was this kind of a underlying, uh, what's he talking about? And then after the very last game, that game five loss to the Dodgers, they were asking him about Logan Webb, who had a great game that night and a great playoff series and a great year. And Buster used the line, Joe, about Logan Webb. The San Francisco Giants had themselves a good young picture. Picture. <laughs> well, I thought, what? Why did he say it that way? When he say we? So there was there were some signs that tipped me that it happened. I was not surprised, but still, what a guy! And he's not in his prime, and he's not at the height of his powers, but he's close. This is probably the second best year he's ever had in the game, outside of his 2012 MVP batting title year. So uh, for a guy to walk away, uh, I don't want to say prematurely, but he has a lot more he could he could still play. But I think it's the position, if he played any other position besides catcher, um, maybe he would try to play a year or two more. But that that catcher position, uh, there, there was, I've watched his whole career. And how many would you say? 50, 75, 100 times? He's taken a foul tip off some body part. Oh, yeah. And maybe a third of those are right off the grill, right off the face mask. And several times, probably a couple dozen, 
he's been just wobbled. Where he's in the crouch and he hasn't quite fallen off and lost his balance, but it's like, whoa, what just happened? And you watch him, and then the next inning, is it any different, the inning after that? And then there have been times he's left the game, and you're thinking, whoa. And we all saw Mike Matheny take that one, and that was it. He didn't play again. So uh, not shocked, but uh, I respect him so immensely for everything he's done. And even in retiring like this, had to be a hard decision. But Buster Posey's so measured in everything he's done in his life for he and his family. And he, he's such a selfless guy. You know, a guy who was more, you know, into himself and the Hall of Fame and numbers and all that stuff would have tried to grind through it and play. But there's everything about this guy, Joe, there's a higher calling and a higher being about him. So even in retirement, he showed us how to do this all the way to the end. Oh, yeah. And speaking of the Hall of Fame, I might have heard media members say that they don't think he played long enough. You know, he doesn't have the longevity, the numbers. But to me, Greg, he was the best catcher of his era when you look at the offense and the defense and the accomplishments he had in a shorter period of time. To me, it's a no-brainer that he's a Hall of Famer. What about you? Yeah, there were parts of his career uh, that I thought the electorate's just not going to vote him in. He's just not there. Right. And, uh, you know, we start the beginning of his career, he was Yogi Berra. <laughs> he won the Rookie yeah. of the Year in the MVP in the batting championship in twelve and the comeback player of the year after the Scott Cousins thing in 11. And then won again in 14. He won three World Series titles in five years. So he was Yogi. He was Johnny Bench. Um, but then he got hurt, the hip thing, and he wasn't as much of a hitter anymore for a long stretch there. His defense, to me, never fell off. It's amazing to me, Joe, he's only won one gold glove. Uh, Yadier Molina's got the flashier ability. But does he call a better game than Buster? Does he have the quick feet, the quick release of Buster? Uh, he reminds me, as far as stylistically, a lot like Terry Steinbach, who I watched, you know, at the A's. Yeah. Not a not a big, huge catcher, but quick feet, quick release, smart, ran that whole staff. But more more so, going back decades, Thurman Munson. He reminds me so much of Thurman. And Thurman was such a great player. I think Thurman should be in the Hall of Fame. I think you have to revisit. I'm hoping, and I think Buster will get in now. I don't think his career, this last year, 2021, maybe is the final cherry on top to win another comeback player of the year, another silver slugger, have the year he had, you know, catch this team and staff to 107 wins. I know they didn't win at all, but they won a lot of games. Uh, incredible. I think this will push them over the top. I've even heard, of course, he's a Hall of Famer. The only debate now is, is he a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, which was, wow. I, don't, I, don't, I would not put him in the first ballot. I think that's for the, the, the elite of the elite, the Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers. But uh, I don't think he has to wait long. He may go in on the first ballot. But I, I'm hoping that his, his induction will open it up to take a closer look at someone like Thurman Munson, who was the American League Rookie of the Year in 1970. Uh, did win back-to-back World Series with the Yankees in 77-78. He was the number three hitter in that lineup. He's the guy you wanted up in critical moments. Uh, and he was a great defensive catcher who caught that staff. And Buster essentially played 10 years because you wipe out the 11 year when he got hurt and the 20 year, which was the pandemic year. And Thurman played the whole decade of the 70s. And his career was cut short because he lost his life. Uh, you know, for 
family reasons, like Buster's retiring. Thurman uh, became an airplane pilot so he could fly back and forth from New York to Canton, where his wife and family was. So and he wound up dying, you know, one day in a, when he was flying himself. So I, 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 I'm hoping Buster gets in relatively early in the process and everybody revisits the great career of Thurman Munson and makes him a Hall of Famer as well, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I know you and I both love numbers, statistics, and I don't think you can base everything on that. And, and I'm, I'm actually curious, Greg, how you have uh, evolved as a broadcaster and a talk show host when it comes to analytics, because we know in sports that teams are now becoming really obsessed with analytics. Networks are becoming obsessed with it. In fact, yesterday when I'm watching the game, last night, the Monday night game, Steve Levy pointed out that the analytics were against the 49ers going for it on fourth. It was fourth and six when they had the touchdown play to Debo. So you can't always go with analytics, and I'm just curious how you have evolved uh, and, you know, how you've embraced it. Well, I, um, when I first got it, and I'm an old guy, so I've been doing this professionally since 1984, <laughs> I, remember, I remember writers criticizing, not so much me, but overall broadcasters for, you know, statting up the broadcast too much, too, too many stats. And, uh, well, that's, you know, you can make that debate. Depends what you're doing the game on. If it's on TV and they got graphics, if it's on radio, you're trying to paint a word picture. I, my, I was always uh, compelled to try to find the right stat, not just the volume of stats, but the right stat. And I think the way the game has gone now, all sports and analytics are a big part of football and how much they go forward on fourth down as opposed to kicking field goals and punting. Uh, they, they've essentially taken the foot out of football. And, I, you know, this has been happening a number of years. I think it started really with coaches embracing it because the copycat league, a copycat world, copycat society is when Doug Peterson did it in Philadelphia with the Eagles. Yeah. And they, they, they won a Super Bowl that year. So, and, and, I mean, obviously you're, you're on top of everything. And you do this for a living with, as well. You're a statistician at the highest level. So the way they run games today both in, in, in all sports, basketball, you know, the Daryl Morey, uh, you know, three versus two. We don't want long twos. We want layups. You know, all of that uh, is changed basketball. Uh, but fourth down, going forward on two-point conversions, which I think they should do way, way more in football, especially with the line of scrimmage now on, on, on extra points, the 15-yard line. That's a 33-yard field goal. Yeah, They're not making it the way they used to. Um, and then obviously in baseball, uh, analytics rise, everything they do, uh, the shifting, the, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to, uh, choke up and spread out with two strikes. We're going to still try to buggy whip and hit the ball over the fence. Why would we give up when we only have three strikes to play with? Why are we giving up the last one? Because we're afraid to strike it out. We don't care. So the way teams are built and the way games are run is way, way more driven by analytics. But as a broadcaster, I'm trying to tell people something they don't know. Yeah. And they are just statted out. <laughs> they can get so many damn stats. I could spend all day doing all the research of my life on stats, and I, they're going to know more than me. I mean, it's all right there. Right. So I, I, I honestly don't use a lot of stats. Now, it depends when I'm on TV versus radio. If I'm on TV, 
and I'm, I'm Greg Gumbel, and I'm doing a CBS football game. And Joe Castellana puts an amazing stat, lower third graphic. What, what am I going to do? i got to find a way to write a caption to that stat and different story because they can read that stat. Uh, on radio, it's different. I use them a lot, you know, here and there. But I, I try to trade, create a word picture. So I think because of the proliferation in all sports now, as a sportscaster, I'm trying to present something a little bit different. So I've probably gotten away from that more than ever, even though they drive the game and the building of rosters and the playing of the games and to the highest level. Uh, I think the world has gotten too much stats. So, uh, you know, I go back to when I broke it in. He was being criticized. Statting it. I'm not going to overstat it now because they're bombarded by stats. There's so many stats. They can get better stats than watching the game and reading Twitter or social media during the game. So I think as a broadcaster, you have to evolve. And I probably backed off of the, the pure numbers of it, Joe, because they can get them from better sources than me. Yeah, I think that's that's the right move. All right, to finish up, Greg, uh, the Warriors. We're covering the you know the three top teams really here in the the Bay Area, and I just wanted to ask you. It's early in the season, but what we're seeing from Steph Curry and this team before Clay Thompson has even joined the team has been pretty phenomenal. Now I know their schedule hasn't been as tough as uh, you know some others, and they've got Brooklyn tonight as we speak here. Uh, but just what are your thoughts about the way that that team? has, uh, you know, really kind of uh, renewed itself to be sort of the Warriors from a few years back. And uh, what kind of uh, ceiling do they have this year? Yeah, the, the symbolism, uh, especially going into Brooklyn, USA, and playing KD in the Nets, is how are they going to reinvent themselves post-KD? You know, that's a hard thing to do when you lose a player of his ability. Yeah. And I, I think they have. And uh, Steph is in the best shape. Of his, of his life, he keeps getting faster, stronger, quicker, everything. Er, he's just, uh, he adds five or six pounds of good weight every year. I'm very close to uh, Brandon Payne, his personal workout guy in Charlotte. We have him on radio and TV all the time. And he tells me exactly what he's working on. And he's just, he's insane. And he's so good right now. Um, he's become Kevin Durant. Durant was born with all those gifts. Uh, to be a great scorer on three levels, and uh, especially in the half court. And Steph was a guy you could defend him when he was younger in the half court. You can't defend him now. He just gives the ball up. He's running around like, you know, John Havlicek meets Chris Mullen. He's the Energizer Bunny, <laughs> and you can't get him. And he relocates to every corner, and he has an insanely quick release. He's a great, great player. He's better than he's ever been. But the guys around him, have figured out how to play with him, both the young and the new. Um, like Jordan Poole, Draymond's back to being where he's at. Uh, you know, the one thing about Durant leaving is what are you going to do? Well, they came up with this sign and trade. They wound up with D'Angelo Russell, who I did not like and don't like as a player. Terrible fit to play with Steph Curry's Warriors. But you've somehow flipped that into Andrew Wiggins. And you get draft picks out of it. so they uh, And then you bring in Bielitsa, you reacquire Andre, veteran minimum deals. And uh, they're, they're superbly coached. Superbly coached. Kyle Shanahan and his staff do an amazing job. Cap and his staff. Steve Kerr and his staff are state-of-the-art. And they know how they want to play, and they bring players in around it. 
there were some mismatches there for a while, but now it all fits together. So they're good. They are good. And when they get Clay back, whatever form he's in, uh, they get James Wiseman developing day-to-day, getting better and better and better. Then you got something here. So uh, I think they're back in the game. They're, they're back in it. They've been out of the game for a couple of years for a variety of reasons, pandemic, injury, losing staff, Draymond being disinterested because of uh, all those factors. Draymond's locked in back, uh, being the defensive focal point that he is and the great facilitator on offense. They're good, Joe. I'm not going to say they're going to win it all, but I'm, I'm not going to say they can't win it all. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a very exciting season. Well, Greg, I know you're you're going to tape the Ask Papa segment there on NBC Sports Bay Area, so thank you very much for allowing me to ask Papa here for the last yeah. half hour or so. Thank you very much. No, you warm me up. It's like Steph's pregame shootout or <laughs> you know, the guys in the cage before the game or Jimmy going out to throw to Debo. I'm all warmed up now. Whatever they ask me, uh, it's not going to be as good as what Joe asked me, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to roll. Let's do it. That's the voice of the San Francisco 49ers, Greg Papa, also co-host of the Papa and Lund radio show on KMBR 680 and host of the pregame and postgame shows on NBC Sports Bay Area during baseball season with the San Francisco Giants telecast. That's going to do it for this week. We'll catch you again next week here on the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.